Well, hello and welcome everyone to Foothills. If you are new on campus uh, visiting with us, we are glad you're here. I want to give you a little inside dope, and that is it's been this way for 20 years in this room, is that when we first kick on the heaters, the thing is that the balcony is always much warmer by 10 degrees than down here on the main floor. So you know the old time uh, balcony seaters because they're coming to church in shorts and flip-flops with little, you know, tiki umbrellas because they're just having fun up there in the sauna. Now, if you're watching online, we're glad you are with us. You know, we just want you to know Foothills of Church, we challenge you to think. Uh, we want you to go deeper in order to be stronger, better, wiser, more mature. This is called growth. In the end, what I think about your faith is irrelevant. It's what you think about your faith, what you are, your convictions, the things that is guiding you. So we're here to help you grow your faith. We're finishing our series on the disappearing woman, and we're going to listen to some video testimonies. My name is Kinsey. Um, I have been married for five years now. I have a two-year-old. He just turned two this weekend, and I work part-time. I'm in ultrasound tech. Hi, my name is Jordan. I am a single college student and I work here at Foothills. Hi, I'm Shannon and I'm married. My husband, Mitch, and we have two kids. They're both grown and we even have a grandson. Hi, I'm Raquel Martin and I am a mother and I have been married for three years. I picture heaven, this place of community of just pure joy and peace. Um, an overwhelming amount of joy and peace that's unexplainable. What heaven is going to be like for me is no more striving, um, no more trying to be accepted, just being in the presence of my Lord and Savior and worshiping Him forever. I think that um, it is going to be a place of no pain. I think it's going to be amazing to be in a place where there is no sin, there's no temptation of sin, and there's no um, result of sin. And um, I just think that the peace, love, and joy that are going to come and be a part of just every day, the way to praise God perfectly in every day and in every way. I'm, I can't wait. So we asked these ladies, you know, what would heaven be like? And part of the reason why we did that is because when uh, Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew, he taught us the Lord's Prayer. And a phrase in the Lord's Prayer says this, it's, it says, we're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, we often, we often think, well, heaven is this really great place where everything is awesome and wonderful, and, but we're to pray that we live in the kingdom of God so that here on earth, right, that his kingdom would come down and that we, so we can have a little slice of heaven here. And one of the difficulties of our society today is that it's trying to eradicate all of the values and qualities that allow you to live in a little slice of heaven here on earth. That's why we titled this series, The Disappearing Woman, because our society is trying to erase the feminine nature of women. So we presented uh, the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. This is just real quick kind of review uh, called uh, the life fulfillment equation. And that is, is that he says, whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And so we'll save it. So what is a saved life? Well, it's a healed life, a whole life, an abundant life, a, an, an inheritance life. It's all of these really awesome things. Uh, Jesus told the woman, well, it is a wellspring of joy that comes up out of you and spills 
over. So, man, I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And he said, well, the way you do that is, first and foremost, you must deny yourself. So you kind of have to know yourself. You got to know, well, what parts of me are made in the image of God and what parts do I need to deny? Okay. Now, the other thing is that you have to know the world. And that is, it says, pick up your cross and follow me as a reference to, you have to kind of choose your sacrifice. And the world says, go this way. God says, go this way. So you kind of have to make a little bit of a choice. And he says, and then you have to follow me. So I have to know Jesus. So if you know Jesus, you know yourself, you know the world, then guess what happens is you start to realize, wow, this is the path to losing my life for his sake and saving it, living the saved life. So we use the life fulfillment equation to help women in particular see how our society is trying to erase them and how they can counter it. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, why women find it difficult to follow the life fulfillment equation that Jesus laid out for them. And I want to start by telling you a story, okay, to kind of lay the context here. And it's about Jack and Melissa. It's a true story. Happened, though, probably over a decade ago. Uh, Melissa had been married for about four or five years uh, to Jack. And what happened is they had met at college, right? And she had grown up in this state and in this city. She went to the, the local college. He came from out of state. They met, they get married, right? And then they, uh, when they graduate. And so now they're kind of been together four or five years. He's been pursuing his career. And he comes home and he goes, look, uh, Melissa, I have really exciting news. He says, my company has offered me a promotion, but we have to move for to another state to open up a new office for a while. This is a step they all need to take. You know, I kind of talked to you about this down the road, but boy, my career can really take, I can provide everything. You know, I know you just quit working because we want to start a family. So this would be perfect. We could move. You're not working and we could do da, da, da. And she says, I don't want to do that. I want to start a family. My, my parents are here. My friends are here. Everything is here. So uh, they argued about it. And then the more they argued about it, the more intractable their positions came. He's like, this, we got to do this for my career. You know, we got to do this. And she says, I'm not doing that because, you know, da, da. and then they get to the apex of their disagreement, their argument. It's very heated. And she says to him, she says, well, if you loved me, you would do what I want. So she kind of threw a bomb out there. And then his response was, well, I'm the man of the house and it's my decision and it's your job to submit. Oh, the dreaded S word. Oh my goodness. Wow. We're gonna look at the passages today and then study their meaning because I want you to know today is very, very challenging for me, not you. And here's why. Because the reason why I think we have such difficulty understanding these passages is because of frame of reference. And what has happened is our frame of reference has been influenced to the point where we don't really understand these passages in their total biblical context. And what it ends up doing is it's a lot of misunderstanding. So what I'm doing today, and this is really important to understand why Foothills is such a different church, is that I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm not even here to tell you what to think about it. What I'm going to do is try to convince you to change your frame of reference 
so that you will think differently about it. I say this on the Salty Pastor, my podcast all the time. It's often not what you think, but it's how you think. Because we've been trained or taught to think in a certain way, and oftentimes that drives our conclusion. So it's a tough job to change a person's frame of reference because it's kind of abstract. But I'm going to do the best I can, and hopefully it will make sense to you. Now, the phrase, be subject to, is the Greek phrase in the New Testament from which we get the word submit. Uh, We often call the topic or the thing submission, which doesn't really appear, but it appears 34 times in the New Testament. Only seven of those times it refers to wives, specifically defined as a woman married to a man. All the other references are to Jesus or to men or believers in general, like the church in general. There are no references in the New Testament with the words submit or be subject to that talk about societal structure or how neighborhoods or companies or businesses are supposed to work. Okay, that doesn't exist. It's all about Jesus and our relationship to Jesus or in the church with one another and specifically seven times to wives, okay? So let me read them, and then we're going to kind of talk about them. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Then the next passage is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, and this is what it says. It says, wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. So now what he does, he gives the instruction and he gives a little bit of context, he says, well, this is a fitting thing. It, it, it reflects the nature of how God designed it. Then if you flip over to Titus, this is chapter 2, and he says in verse, uh, beginning verse 3, he says, older women likewise. Now, my job is to read the verse. Your job is to decide whether you are an older woman or not. I will not comment on that. (laughs) Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to too much wine, teaching what is good. Now, here's what's interesting, because here's the purpose of older women, if you by chance place yourself in that category. Not that I would ever say you're in that category, but if you were to say This is your purpose. You are to encourage, you are to encourage young women. Your role is to mentor, encourage, and disciple younger women. In what? Loving their husbands, loving their children. And this is not the uh, weird love that our society has developed today. This is the love out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it says love is patient and kind. It always does the right thing. It strives to do good. So, you know, loving your children is having a discipline plan for them, right? Um, 
He says, they need to be sensible. He said, older women should help women be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands. Now, this is interesting because he says, he gives more context as to why you older women should do this because the word of God will not be dishonored. So the, the early church, a lot of Christians were being persecuted and they're saying, we, we want to show that Christian families are great families, right? So that there's no slander against the thing. Then uh, the family, so uh, Christianity. Then what happens is in 1 Peter chapter 3, which is the most interesting passage of all, when you really read it, it begins in verse 1 of chapter 3. In the same way, same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. Now, before I read on, I, just, I go, isn't this interesting? Because what is he saying? He's saying, if your husband is disobedient, uh, in seminary, we learned another translation of that word. If your husband is a knucklehead, okay? If he's being a knucklehead and wives, how many months do you have to be married before you realize your husband has knuckleheaded tendencies? I'm not saying how long that's your job to decide, okay? But, but isn't that interesting? He's saying, so when your husband is being a knucklehead or doing something wrong, is disobedient even. He says, here is the secret to winning. It's interesting. Most people never get, well, what's the secret to winning? How do I do that? Well, look what he says. By being submissive without even having to say a word or tap a foot, wag a finger, or give the eye. <laughs> so what I have him doing in that, you can win him over, Right? At, why? Because they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Let not your adornment merely be external. This is why I read from the New American Standard today, because the nuance of this passage is often lost in the ESV, the New King James, and even the uh, NIV. And that it says, let not your adornment. It leaves out the notion merely. Okay? So it's, it's not trying to say, don't wear anything nice. It's not trying to say that. It's just saying, don't let that be your primary focus. Okay, braiding hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. But your priority should be uh, in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. I find that really in verse 6 fascinating because what he's saying is that if you want to win your husband over when he's being a knucklehead, there's a secret, right? But the difficulty in following this secret or this mystery called submissiveness, he says, uh, is we, we, sometimes it's difficult to do what is right because we're frightened by fear, okay? So that tells me that being frightened by fear is a realistic issue when we talk about what in the world does this mean? So Peter states that the path to influencing and winning over a disobedient husband is learning the mystery of being subject to. Now, 
Here's what I would like you to consider and ponder if you would like to gain a deeper understanding of what this means and how to apply it to your life, okay? And the first thing I want you to do is I want you to find out how much the world has influenced your frame of reference. So to do that, you must wrestle with your relationship with this idea of submission, okay? And what I mean by that is this. Does it bother you when you read this? And if so, ask yourself, why does it bother you? It, it might be legitimate. You might say, well, because I've heard pastors, guys who do what you do, use it in an abusive way before. Okay, that's legitimate. I think that's a very legitimate thing. Uh, or maybe it's leg is it legitimate because your husband is more on the knuckleheaded side than the wise leader loving side, right? And you say, well, is, does that make it legitimate of why you don't like it? Or is it due to something else? Why does it bother you? And at what level does it bother you? You need to understand that. Because remember the life fulfillment equation? You're supposed to use it to evaluate yourself, not judge yourself. That's why we did the whole series on guilt before we talked about this. And that is that judging yourself doesn't work. Evaluating yourself does. Evaluate yourself. Wrestle with your issue of how you feel about this is helping you know yourself. Is your relationship with the idea of submission in marriage a part of God's image within you? Or is it a part of the world that you should deny? Only you can answer that question. How well do you know what the, the world is trying to do to you? That's in the life. Pastor Steve talked about that last week, did a great job. How does it impact your perspective on the issue? Is there a secret here in the scriptures that Satan and the world doesn't want you to know? Well, you have to wrestle with that. And that leads you to my second important point, and that is this. Make a commitment to learning the true nature of what being subject to actually means. And this is where the frame of reference absolutely and unequivocally has to change. Give you a little background on me. I've been in the full-time ministry now for, I don't know, 37, 38 years. I can't even remember how long. Um, and over these years, I've read these passages hundreds, maybe even a thousand times. I've heard all kinds of different teachings and perspectives on it. And what I found is, is that uh, every position that I heard on it carved out missed the boat, right? It didn't seem to quite get the point of the New Testament and what's going on. And I began to ask myself, why? Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? And I came to the conclusion that the reason why is because the frame of reference is wrong. You see, our society over the last 50 years has taught everyone to think of intimate relationships as power relationships, okay? These are often referred to as power hierarchies. If you've been in college, you've heard that term, right? Power hierarchies. If you've uh, been to high school, they're using that now. It's become very popular in the last 10 years in that uh, the notion is, uh, is that it's without getting into the weeds about this, it's basically we've been raised in a postmodern deconstructionist society, and this is based on what is known as cultural Marxist ideology. It's a philosophy or a frame of reference, and it basically says that all relationships, whether it be in the professional world or it be in your own family, are all power dynamic relationships. And so all relationships are, have a power hierarchy, 
And if you've ever heard people running around, you know, tear down the patriarchy, you know, it comes from this ideology, this frame of reference. So whether you believe it's true or not isn't the point. The point is your frame of reference on how to understand these scriptures has been influenced by that ideology. And it's your job to ask yourself how much. And this is why in that frame of reference, whenever you say the word submit, it's a loss. It's a bad word, right? Because have you ever watched UFC fighters, you know, in the octagon? They get in there and what do they do? They kick each other, punch each other, you know, they're boxing each other, you know, they're, they're doing everything they can to get the guys on the ground and then they're grappling around there and doing all their jujitsu because they're trying to get a position because they want to get a guy in an arm bar or a choke, you know, that could either break his arm or end his life. So that that magical moment happens in the fight where the other guy does this. What does he do to the other guy? He taps out. What, ha what does that mean? He what? Lost because he was submitted. See, he submitted. So what, if your frame of reference is that all relationships, particularly intimate relationships, are power relationships, right? Guess what? You're always wondering whose job is it to submit. And that means there's always a winner and a loser, okay? So this is why I think the notion of submission immediately rubs people wrong because we've been trained to think that way. But what is the real meaning of the phrase, be subject to? Because if your frame of reference is power hierarchies, then you will spend your time trying to explain it away. And this is what most of the biblical teaching that I have heard on the subject tries to do. It tries to say, well, it doesn't really mean that, or it doesn't really mean this. And it actually, you have to understand it. And I'm like, wait a second. Most modern preachers take the position that this doesn't actually mean what it means. I take the opposite position. I take the position that means exactly what it means. It means exactly what it means. However, if my frame of reference has been influenced by the world, then I won't understand what it means. And that's the issue. I don't understand it. So how do I change my frame of reference to understand it, okay? A power frame of reference is about control or force, right? Just like in UFC, you know what your marriage is, man? It's in the octagon, guys. And you better duke it out until you can figure out who's got the best arm bar, you know? And a lot of people approach their marriages that way, right? You know, you know when it really becomes apparent, too, is when you start having kids? Because kids have this genetic predisposition uh, to knowing how to play mom and dad off of each other. You know, you think it's like a genetic thing almost, you know? They know how to do it. It's just natural. But guess what? Biblical uh, submission has nothing to do with power or control. Has nothing to do with power or control. Because no one can force or make you submit from a biblical perspective. You see, submission is a gift that a person gives, right? For instance, look at the way the word is used in relationship to Christ. Does Christ show up at the foot of your bed one night and go, okay, you knucklehead, let's get your act together. I'm going to throw a little lightning around. I'm going to spank you a little bit. And you're going to follow me whether you want to or not. Why? Because it's, I'm the king of kings and it's your job to do what? Submit. So get with the program. How many of you came to Christ that way? 
I didn't. I did it. The invitation was to follow. I said, but you can't follow unless you do what? You give the gift of surrender or submit. So what does that tell you about the nature of submission? It can never be demanded. It cannot be forced on another person. Okay. Oh, that's good. See, when Jack said, it's my decision, it's your job to submit, guess what? It wasn't submission because he was trying to take it from her. He wasn't going to get submission. What was he going to get? Compliance. You remember the old story? Uh, I told it on Salty Pastor. Jesse was, uh, brought it up. And about, uh, this was a while back, and the little boy was in uh, elementary in his school, and his teacher said, you know, Johnny, you need to sit down. He goes, no. He goes, Johnny, you need to sit down because we need to do the class. He goes, no. He goes, I don't want to sit down. She goes over there, well, I'm going to introduce you to the board of education, and I'm going to paddle your behind if you don't sit down. So he sits down, and he's glaring at her, and she goes, she says to him, what's wrong with you? He goes, I may be sitting on the in, in outside, but I'm standing on the inside, <laughs> right? Because what is he doing? Is he submitting or is he complying? Now, you need compliance to run a society. Okay, I get that, but that's not what we're talking about at all. What he did by saying that is he made a power play over his wife. And as soon as he said it, he lost Soon as he said it, he lost. And look, you're toast, you know, wave the white flag, run to the pastor, beg for forgiveness, whatever you need to do. When you say that, guys, you've lost. But guess what, ladies? You have to be careful because when you say, if you love me, you would do what I want, that's a power play too. See, a power frame of reference demands submission or tries to take submission. But biblical submission cannot be demanded why? Because it's an attitude of the heart. A power frame of reference always delves into abuse, right? A power hierarchy in a relationship always degenerates into some form or abuse, control, or manipulation. But what's interesting is authentic biblical submission is actually the mystery or secret that empowers you to navigate out of being manipulated, controlled, or power. How does that work? Well, let's dig a little bit deeper and see how that might work. If, if biblical submission, uh, submission is more than just solving a, a power struggle in your marriage or some type of organized power hierarchy in society, then what exactly is it? As I said before, it's an attitude of faith, but it's not an attitude of faith in the person that you want to give this gift to. It actually doesn't depend upon the other person for you to give it. What it does do is it depends upon a faith in God's design of how the universe has been organized. So being subject to is being subject to God's design of how relationships are meant to work. Do you see the shift now in the frame of reference? The being subject to is something much bigger than any type of, we're going to solve who makes the decisions in the family. That's not it at all. That's about compliance. Biblical submission is about how do I take how God designed me as a woman to fulfill God's design in this relationship? So my faith is more in God and his design 
than in whatever issue we're trying to get through right at this particular moment. It is a faith in God's plan for your relationship. Do you remember in uh, the, the show by HBO Band of Brothers? And you remember Captain Sobel whips him into shape, but he was such a jerk and he was terrible in the field. So he basically gets dismissed. Lieutenant Winters then takes over on D-Day because their, uh, their CO was killed. And then over time, he then is promoted to captain. And then as a captain, he becomes a major. And then in the last show of the series, to try to give the audience a little bit of emotional closure is uh, after the war is over and the surrenders are happening, is Captain Sobel, who's now a supply officer with the... Uh, uh, battalion is walking by and he sees Major Winters and he's a captain and he looks at him and walks away and then Major Winters goes, you know, Captain Sobel and he stops and he looks at him and he goes, you salute the rank, not the man. And so you're like, yes, finally, get back at that guy. And then what does he do? He salutes and goes on. Biblical submission is about understanding the order and rank more than it is about solving a power struggle in the relationship. See, that is a huge shift in frame of reference right there. It's based, in order to do that, you have to have a knowledge of God himself, okay? You have to have a knowledge of yourself, and you have to have a knowledge of the world and what it's trying to do to you. Biblical submission is not about being subject to Ralph when he says, you need to go make me a sandwich, you know, that's not what it's about at all. It's about being subject to the structure and nature of the universe and how God set it up. In other words, it says this, I know Jesus and I know his goal in my life. I know his version of me is something I need to grow into. How he created them, male and female, masculine and feminine, and how those two are meant to partner together, become one, complete one another. That We get the concept of soulmate from this intimate understanding of biblical marriage. It is the knowledge that your feminine nature is what produces the greatest influence and partnership with the masculine. This is why erasing the feminine nature of women is so devaluing to women because it erases the wonder and beauty of what God has designed within you and how it is designed to influence and partner and be one with the masculine. Now, I'm not here to tell you what the feminine is. That's your mission. But I will say this. I think mature women know the difference. They know that in any given moment in their marital relationship, they can be either masculine or feminine, right? They can be one or the other. Submission is a capacity to know, well, God has a design of how the feminine works and how the feminine influences the masculine. And then says, because I know God has a design, I'm willing to trust that and see how that operates. Now, can you see how being subject to is not about being subject to your husband's whims, regardless of what he does. It's about being subject to God's design for how the universe works. It's a knowing, a knowing, a knowledge of the masculine, a knowledge of the feminine, and how they are meant to interact. It's a knowledge of how the fall, meaning sin, influences masculine and influences feminine. It is a wisdom based on all the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of yourself, and the knowledge of the world. 
Now, what I've just said to you is a massive frame of reference shift. It's extremely abstract. And some people are going, what in the world is he talking about? It's time for lunch. Well, let me tell you some stories, because maybe this will put some handles on it for you, okay? These are true stories. I changed the name to uh, Protect the Guilty, but I thought you would get a lot out of it, okay? Uh, Mary was really struggling. She was a young wife, been married a few years to Mark. Uh, she was really struggling in her marriage. She didn't feel resp- that he respected her opinion. He didn't care for her properly. And she was beginning to question whether he even loved her or not. And the main reason why is because she kept telling him, this is what I need from you in the relationship. And he ignored it. And from her perspective, he just ignored it. So she decided instead of giving up, she would go to a marriage mentor. And she began to pour her heart out to this marriage mentor. The marriage mentor listened and listened and asked lots of questions. Well, how do you, how, okay, you're telling him what you need. How are you approaching him? And how do you say it? And what do you do? And what are these conversations like? And after a while, she said, look, Mary, I want you to know something. The reason why you're so frustrated in your marriage is because you're approaching your husband in the masculine ethos, not feminine. She says, women in our society have been taught what to expect from men, but women have never been taught how to approach men. And there's a massive difference there. By approaching him in the feminine ethos, it starts to awaken the masculine ethos in your husband's life. You see, what she would do is she was coming to him in a masculine way. And she says, I need these three things from you in order I feel loved, right? She's making a masculine approach with him. And so subconsciously, what he interpreted that is, is, oh, well, you're masculine, so you're one of the bros, all right? So when a guy goes to another guy and says, like on a basketball team or at work, says, hey, bro, you know, I don't like you making jokes about my ethnicity, and so I don't want you doing that anymore. What do the other guys on the work team or on the basketball team do? Do they go around and go, oh, man, we're going to go out of our way to just make sure that, you know, you're in a safe space? Is that how guys talk? No, what do they do? They start telling ethnic jokes at 10 times the rate they ever did before. Because when you're a bunch of guys and you have a weakness, what do all the other guys do around you? They pounce on it, right? It's like, okay, you're telling, have you ever played basketball with a bunch of guys? You're on a team and one of the guys like sprains his ankle, you know, after the game and he's kind of doing this thing and he's got it taped all up like that. And he looks to his buddy and he goes, hey, dude, Joe, would you get my bag for me? You know, what does Joe do? Go, oh man, you uh, hurt your ankle and your ankle sprained. Let me get that bag for you so I can help you and make sure that you're feeling good and you're, you heal real quickly. Is that how guys talk to each other? All the guys are out there laughing because they know exactly what they tell Joe. Get your own bag, you baby. Pick it up yourself. Isn't that how guys do it? So when women approach their husbands in the masculine, subconsciously he treats you like a bruh. Do you see the difference? And what she learned is she said, oh. So she started to pull back into her feminine essence. And what happened is the masculine is designed to provide and protect. Okay? And what she did is she said, I'm going to approach him in the feminine ethos. She started to do that. And she came back and she said, it has radically changed my marriage. And her her mentor said, how did that happen? She goes, 
He's now meeting my needs, and I don't even tell him what they are. This is unbelievable. Well, see, God has a way of the masculine and the feminine, when they're in their, the space where they're supposed to be, God's version of you, what happens is they enhance one another to be the best version instead of tearing it down. Now, here's where it gets really dicey because most people aren't going to believe this story at all. Jim's life was changed. He's in his 40s. Uh, and he began to drift. He had been married to Susan for 20 years. His true story of a couple that I knew 15 years ago. He was in his mid 40s. Uh, they'd been married for 20 years. They had kids in middle school and high school. He reconnected with a high school buddy who had just a train wreck of life, and so he started spending a little more time with him. He began uh, losing focus on his career. He started blowing big holes in their family budget. He even started drinking uh, regularly. He, when Susan asked him about it, she, she approached him well. He blamed it all on stress and had an anger fit, you know, but she knew better. She knew better. How? Because she grew up in a home where the feminine was really well modeled to her by her mother. So she understood the masculine and she understood the feminine. She knew if she tried to take charge, control, or fix him, she wouldn't get any change. She'd only get compliance. And that wears off really quick. So you know what she did? She did the most feminine thing that she could do. She threw him out. She threw him out. She said, you won't be allowed back until you start spending time with real men. She didn't tell him to stop drinking. She didn't tell him to quit spending money. She didn't tell him to do that. She just said, your masculinity is not under the influence of God. It's under the influence of the world. It's trapped. And so this is why being subject to is never an invitation for abuse or control by a woman. Never, ever. It never is. See, a woman who has a knowledge of how the masculine actually works can discern when the masculine is being controlled by the world, controlled by drugs, controlled by addictions, controlled by incredible immaturity. What fear does is it drives most women to reject being subject to in order to survive. I would challenge you to consider that being subject to is the only way to survive. Because what it does is it allows you to make decisions like throwing him out without being misguided or manipulated by the world. The only way to make hard decisions and not be filled with guilt and regret is to do it right without fear. The only way to look back on your life and say, I should have done something different is to do it right without fear, as Peter says. Why? Because sub being subject to is not about a power hierarchy. It's not about that. It's about something bigger, and it's about God and his design for the nature of the universe and how relationships work. You have to view God as your protector and leader and guide, and you need to understand the influence of the world and its desire to manipulate you and cheat you and deceive you. When you understand submission, you're understanding the key to the mystery of seeing the desires of your heart fulfilled and doing it in a world that is imperfect, filled with imperfect men with the devil that hates your guts. You see, Susan knew that his masculine was in bondage. And if she were to give him power in that moment, she is not fulfilling God's design. She's filling Satan's design. Did you catch that? 
because she was subject to, she had the clarity to understand, dude, his masculine is totally messed up right now. I can't fix that. He needs to be set free. He's a bondage right now. So I'm going to trust the Lord to fix that. And he did. And Jim goes back and goes, years later, I, man, if my wife would have tried to control me or force me, then that would have given me excuse. It had given me something to fight with. And men, when we don't do well, what do we want to do? We want to fight, don't we? We want to fight something. We want to go out and punch something. We want to get in a, a nice old-fashioned brawl, right? You go to a bar and you order a glass of milk. See what happens. You know, that's what you're trying to do, right? Because we, and what happens is when, instead of turning Jim over to God, right? Some, some people would say, well, I can fix this. No, you can't. No, you can't. Because the, the feminine is designed to nurture the masculine, it can't fix it. This is why I tell women, please don't date fixer-uppers because their masculine ethos is broke, all right? Which leads me to the story of Jennifer. Jennifer is a really interesting story because she got married at 20. She got divorced at 26, 27. She then uh, dated for a number of years. And then when she was 30, she met a guy. She dated this guy for about two years, all right? And she thought, he's the one. I'm going to get married to this guy. And then suddenly, without you know, any knowledge, he breaks it off. And what made it really, really hard for her is she would see him posting with his new girlfriend on social media, and then they got married, and she was thinking, why not me? So what's interesting is, you know how when you're, you don't do really well, you want um, comfort food? You know, it's like, man, I just need to eat comfort food, whether it's good for me or bad for me. So, you know, if I'm in, if I'm in a really bad way, you know, don't drive me by a donut store. It's a disaster. It's not good. Uh, well, what happened is when she was little, she would go with her uh, great grandma and her grandma would knit uh, quilts, right? And she was in such a bad emotional place. She said, I need something emotionally comforting. So she went to a quilting club and it had nothing but grandmas in there. All the women had been married over 35, 40 years. All the women, uh, some of the women in there were widows. And what happened to Jennifer is she starts over time pouring out her heart. And these ladies are so dear, you know, and sweet. And they treat her like their grandchild. And they're loving on her and so forth and doing all these things. And what they do is they said, you know, they eventually told her, Jennifer, your heart was broken. And so you have all these defenses around your heart. But what you don't understand is they're masculine walls right? And so the reason why your relationships aren't working out is because your walls, your defenses are all masculine. And as soon as another masculine comes up and bumps up into the wall, okay, guys, what happens when you walk up to a mountain? What do guys do? They say what? Let's climb it, right? When you come up to an obstacle, you know, guys say, they see an obstacle, what do they do? They say, let's blow it up, you know? You got anything to blow up? So if a woman has masculine defenses around her and you're in a relationship with a masculine after a while, are guys sensitive to that? No, they're not. And so what happens is then it becomes, drawn back down into the world, it becomes a power struggle again. 
This is a really hard principle to get. It's really hard because it changes your frame of reference. But don't make the mistake of thinking it's, oh, I have to invite being treated poorly. No, that's not feminine. Okay? That's not feminine. That's abuse. Feminine is understanding how God made you as a woman and how your feminine capacities do something. And that is, it pulls out the wonder and the beauty of the masculine, and it knows when the masculine is messed up, I can't fix it. God has to do that. So that's really important to understand. So the last thing I want to share with you is this. Follow his path and see what happens. Try to wrestle with your relationship, dig into it, understand it yourself, and then say, if God has a mystery of how to make it work better, I want to know it. How silly is it that we know and then we don't even try? Melinda and Jack, the people I told about at the very beginning of the, the message, they had a problem. They had a masculine-masculine partnership in their marriage, and this led to conflict. Once conflict happened, their only answer was a power struggle, right? But in real relationships, to get to intimacy, there has to be surrender and there has to be what? Love and respect and honor. The point where their relationship got to is where submission is at its weakest. It was a failure, not a culmination of being subject to on both of their parts. Being subject to is all about knowing the strength, influence, and design of the feminine. It sees that marriage relationships are meant to be intimate, building up one another in love, encouraging one another, loving one another, respecting one another. And this occurs when the masculine is living in the authentic version that God has for him and the feminine is living in the authentic version that God has for her. And if we allow our society to erase the value, the power, and the strength inherent in the feminine woman, our society becomes a dog-eat-dog, -dog, king of the hill, win-at-all-cost type of world. And that is not a place any of us want to live. But if men and women discover what it means to be masculine, if they understand what it means to be feminine in the authentic version of who God says they are, then marriages, your marriage, can be a little slice of heaven right here on earth. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, I pray that you take the random ramblings of me today and make sense out of it. Amen. <laughs>